Carl's Jr.'s new guacamole double cheeseburger is only 299 bucks. You forgot the decimal? Only 299 bucks. Not decibel, decimal. The guacamole double cheeseburger is only $2.99 at Carl's Jr. Oops. Available for a limited time. Price of participation may vary. Tax not included. Mr. President, I'm here. I voted for you. Wait a minute. That guy on the grassy knoll's got a gun. He's going to shoot the president. Holy smokes, I've got to do something. All right, Lee, time to become an American hero. Deep in the basement of our old studios in East Fort Worth is a room that few people have ever seen. Until recently, it held our archives, including all of our film from the JFK assassination. We are about to take you there and show you what our photographers captured 50 years ago. Our guide is Gary Mack, a former Channel 5 employee who is now the curator of the Sixth Floor Museum. Down into the bowels of Channel 5. Down a steep flight of stairs and a dim concrete corridor is a door that leads deep into the past. And so here it is, room number eight. Preserved for decades against the odds. All the Kennedy footage is, is, is right over here. Jimmy Darnell rode in the motorcade. And as soon as the shots were fired, Jimmy jumped out and ran around and, and filmed what he could. He had no idea what had happened, though. All of that material is safe. Over the years, the film clips have been converted first into videotape and now into a digital. Give me the Justice Department, Entertainment Division. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Lone Gunman Podcast, episode 104. This is your host, Rob Clark. And this week, joining me all the way from England, I have a very special guest for you. His name is Bart Camp, a.k.a. the Lone Gunman A.K.A. Barto. Yeah. Bart. Hello, everybody. How you doing, buddy? <coughs> Sorry. Uh, yes. I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. Hey, no problem. It's good to have you here. And for people, you may have heard of him. Um, he's he's a moderator over at the ROKC Forum. And he's been around for quite a while. He's active on the Ed Forum and everything. And before we actually get into what we're going to talk about tonight, just just – Tell everybody a little bit about yourself, what you got going on, Bart, and you know your website, your movie, your book, all that good stuff. Let's go ahead and get that out there for the people and where they can find your stuff. Okay. I started watching some documentaries back in the 80s. That book basically drew my attention to the Kennedy case. Um, that, of course, got even further enhanced when the JFK, the movie, came out by Oliver Stone. I ended up reading the books that were part of that movie. I read uh, uh, Garrison's book and I read uh, Jim Moss's book as well. 
And then I, uh, the funny thing is the first thing I ever typed in in an internet search engine, which was in 1995, if I remember correctly, um, no, 1994 actually, um, it was Fletcher Prouty because I wanted to know about Mr. X. Okay. And um, I then basically, I, I left the scene, I should make call it, some people call it, for about 10 years and then slowly started getting back into it again, reading books as such. And that got my attention mostly, I drew my attention to, I wanted to go for something specific and that was like the Texas School Book Depository and especially uh, Prayer Man and the Second Floor Lunchroom Encounter. What happened inside the Texas School Book Depository and the statements you can read um, is just a huge puzzle. And it's that in combination with if the movie material, for instance, of the people on the front steps and the people that walk away from it and so forth, just trying to piece everything together, uh, who's who and who's doing what. Um, Prayer Man, uh, the look at the, my site is called prayer-man.com, but, but Prayer Man is just more or less the the icing on the cake. It's the cherry on top of actually of all the shenanigans that actually happened with all this all these employees of the Texas School Book Depository, what they did, their first statements compared to their second statements compared to um, Warren Commission testimony that completely contradicts contradicts things that they've been saying in the first statement as such. Uh, that's the element that basically drew, to, drew me and to focus on that. And I wanted to write a book and Stan Dane came out at the same time with the idea to do a book um, my book's going to be different than what Stan Dane does, uh, did. Stan Dane, not to talk down in any way whatsoever, Stan Dane basically made the massive threat at the uh, education forum about the Bill Kelly started, about Oswald leaving the Texas School Book Depository, the really bad copy of the Darnell uh, shot. And that thread accumulated into many views. I think it's about a quarter of a million, something like that. And Stan Dane made that book to make it more concise. And also because there's lots of trolling and disinformation going on and just opinions that don't really count. Um, it just basically uh, got all the good stuff out. Yeah, My es- book essentially, is- I mean, essentially Stan Dane's book is the thread on the ed form in book yes. form without all the bullshit. In. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Basically he cut all the fat off. That's what he yeah. did. That's, that's the beauty of it. Um, I've got, uh, there's a couple of things about the book that I miss. I miss an index, a uh, book of that kind of statue with that many characters. Uh, this is also uh, an issue that I found with my movie. When, when I did my movie la- late last year, I send it out to many people and then people that have absolutely no connection to any of this stuff whatsoever. And uh, the, the only real criticism I got, because they, they all liked it, the only real criticism I got was that there was too many people basically being introduced with names and they'd never heard of any of these people. So it's like it's like a similar effect of being a teacher and standing in the front of a brand new class with 30 students and all different names that you have to learn within that first hour so yeah i mean you know people people knew the case they're not going to know who maddie reese is they're not no, gonna, you know no that's like that's this. the whole thing so also it's quite important to try and stay as concise as possible but say 
speaking about Melly Rees, um, the funny thing is just that about uh, six, eight weeks ago, a uh, really good researcher by the name of Linda Giovanna Sambanini, she uh, found out there's a lady in black on the uh, on, on the steps of the Texas School Book Depository. And this girl was always referred to as Sarah Stanton, standing next to Billy Lovelady. She's wearing a black hat. She mm-hmm. can seen be, be seen in Donnell and in Beekman, basically. Very distinctive outfit. And everybody said, oh, it's Sarah Stanton, Sarah Stanton. But then basically... Linda Zambellini found out about that. Mally Reese had wore this 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 raincoat, like beige, light brownish, gray looking raincoat. But she had a brooch on it as well. And I published some pictures that we scanned in from the Richard E. Spray collection. And they were Jim Murray pictures and they were from contact sheets. And we enlarged them like to about 600 DPI. So they became about like half the size of a postcard. And there was one picture of people standing outside the Texas School Book Depository. And he basically, Linda recognized the brooch on that coat on the person standing there. And all of a sudden, it became clear that Maddie Reese was standing in this picture and this woman standing in black hole next to her. And then we started reading the depositions and the affidavits and so forth. And it basically said that Ruth Dean was the person that went out with her. So slowly but right. surely couple of months ago so for all these years people always thought it was Sarah Stanton but instead it just proves to be that it was Ruth Dean so um, the whole recognition process is really long winded we don't have the quality we want to we know where the films are roughly Um, they're very hard to get hold of they're being denied that they have them but the way it stands now is that Gary Mack uh, less than a year ago emailed a member at the education forum, Darren Johnson, who basically uh, got the email from him. He forwarded it to me as well. Well, Gary Mack basically claims that the Sixth Floor Museum has a first-generation copy of the Darnell film. Hmm. So that was quite a bombshell. Um, the funny thing is, is that I was corresponding with Gary Mack in March, April, and May. I never knew about this at that time. I missed it. And um, because I would have asked him, of, of course, about getting access to it. Um, the Sixth Floor Museum right now denies having it. I asked them on t- through Twitter hmm. uh, about six months ago, and they said they didn't have it. And um, I've also been in contact with uh, NBC5 about the footage, and they basically sent me to one of their online depositories where they had about 12 hours of footage but the problem is that this is all done on um videotape right and that's not what we want we want we want to you know we want a drum (coughs) excuse me (coughs) a drum roll scan of some sort for a high resolution image of the darnell film of course i mean here's the thing it's really simple with the people the deniers that have a problem with Prey Man and stuff like that. If they're so sure, then why don't they help us get obtain the film so we can show these deniers how wrong they actually are, that, right. well, that it's Lee Oswald standing on those steps. Because this is the problem as well with the deniers, is they cannot bring a candidate forward, whether it's female or male. They cannot bring the candidate for that person forward. And the problem is also there's no stranger there because that's another thing. This is where Jed Hoover shot himself in the foot. 
as a commission exhibit called 1310. And in that commission exhibit, basically Hoover has put together a set of six questions. And these six questions, like, did you see Lee Harvey Oswald at that time? Like, at that time of the assassination, did you see Lee Harvey Oswald? Well, no, of course not. Nobody saw them. I was busy watching the president, of course. But that is one of the questions as such. In that document, the question is also being asked whether they saw any strangers. And none of them confirmed that but in, in the affirmative. The only one is a, 90, uh, a very old man that came at least 45 to 50 minutes before the motorcade arrived and was also being witnessed getting back in the car and driving on towards the Stemmons Freeway, the triple underpass. Right. So the whole stranger scenario is 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 a is a is a non-starter. On top of that, the fact that the deniers or the hoaxes or whatever you want to call them, they cannot bring a candidate forward. Then they try to manipulate the photograph to such an extent that buttons start to appear. <laughs> I think Duncan McGray had a real good laugh doing that for six months. Yeah, making it a woman. Um, yes, prayer woman. Um, <clears throat> it's nothing short of a joke, but. I mean, it was funny, but uh, at the same time, it's really annoying and quite a, uh, uh, it's just a distraction. It does, you know, I mean, for all the people that I show this to, they, they'll say, yes, man, it's not a problem. You know, you can see that right away. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, now, I'll admit, you know, I'll admit, Bart, you know, when it, when I first heard about Prayer Man, you know, a couple of years ago, I, and I've done a, a complete 180 since, and I guess it was just bad timing because... <laughs> Of course, you know, with the OIC and their version of Oswald in the doorway and th yeah. all that nonsense. See, this is, and... see the problem, the difference is, uh, this is, some people probably say I'm patting myself ourselves on the back, but at ROKC is that, and the old forum and this forum, um, there's just a lot of good stuff has been put forward to support the assertion as such. It's not just saying like, we're interpreting this picture as such. Um, I tend to interpret photographs. I've been, I've been, uh, I'm a photographer since the early 80s myself. Uh, blurring is one of the uh, favorite things I'd love to do with photographs as such. I'm going to release a book called Blurred Vision as well. So uh, blurry pictures are really uh, my forte. And um, <sighs> I'm sorry, Rob. I lost my train of thought here for a second. Oh, no, that's all right. We were, I was just, you know, explaining how I, I've done a complete one at 180 on this thing because of the oh, yeah. the whole Oswald in the doorway thing, and you know how they try to turn Love Lady into Oswald. Okay. But yeah, all right, okay. I know I have to pick up again. Okay. You know, there's clearly in the, in the one frame. I think it's the Wigman. You can see a figure that appears to be Billy Lovelady. I mean, it's blurry as hell. No, there's a really clear shot of Billy Lovelady. Is it? With the high uh, forehead? Yeah, I can, forward it. I can forward that to you where you can see him standing right next to Brian Man, and it's clear as glass. Really okay. simple. Um, the This is another thing. The Weakman film is really hard to obtain as well. We got ourselves a copy, which is like a fourth or the fifth generation, which came from the Richard E. Spray collection from NARA. That's another thing. We're basically working. See, we work as a team. We've got about, uh, I'd say, anything between 8 and 15 guys and girls that are working on this uh, in their spare time. And on top of that, uh, we've got one of the guys is going to NARA 
we're trying to uh, obtain the documents, especially the HSCA related stuff is what we're after. Uh, I'm working on quite a few different bits, but one of them is Joe Molina. I want to do a big piece on um, that's going to be on the book as well about Joe Molina and the injustice he suffered. Um, I'm working on a piece on Billy Lovelady as well because he had a lot more to his name that a lot of people, uh, than people assumed. Uh, for instance, he had a weapons charge dangling above him right. just before the big event. Um, it happened in January. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's about they stole three 357 Magnums from yeah, somewhere in Maryland. storage on, in the army base. Yeah. I basically got, they got nicked. So what happened was that they got put on the arrest and Lovelady got fined to a $200 fine. He only paid off 125 and then Ocus Campbell basically paid off the remainder as such. So it's just like, you know, Lovelady, when you start reading all the statements as such and, you know, Lovelady's uh, Warren Commission testimony is completely a 180 from uh, what he said there in his first test, uh, in his first affidavit. And the same goes for Shelley as well. If you put the first affidavits of Bill Shelley and Billy Lovelady next together, just like Marion Baker's, for instance, if you put them to, next to each other, then it's day and night. I mean, there's no mention of Oswald in either of any of the first affidavits from all th all three, whereas the second one uh, from Lovelady and for uh, Shelley are just uh, it's like almost a, a piece of poetry just about Oswald as such. So uh, yeah, because well, didn't Shelley say that he went back inside the building? Yeah, to well, call his that's wife. Just, yeah, that's well. That's another piece I'm working on. Basically, there's the bit in the couch film that Gerda Dunkel uh, found out in 2012. And that was posted at uh, Duncan McRae's forum. And um, in that in that piece, piece of film, which was a, an enlargement of the couch film, you can basically see Lovelady and Shelley walking away. Um, Lovelady had quite a distinctive uh, plaid shirt on. And that shirt, actually, if you look at all the photographs, uh, shows different, different characteristics each time when you look at it. And also in the combination with the fact that it was a color photo turned black and white, shot with an 8 millimeter camera from 100 feet away or with a tele-lens and so forth. Um, with Love Lady and Shelley, you can see that they basically leave uh, when Baker is, making his, is, is about to make his dash they left the steps when Baker's about to put park his motorbike and basically dash for the front steps of the Texas School Book Depository. So they, they left much sooner than they said they did. Exactly. They in their in their in their Warren Commission testimony they say they stayed there in like three minutes, and they said that Gloria Calvary came up to the stairs and met them. Now, if you carefully look at the Darnell film, the slow mo version, which is in my YouTube channel. There you can see a woman running from the left to the right. And if you, uh, there's a GIF as well about, also posted on my website, basically where you can see that she does stop when you see the figures of uh, Lovelady and uh, Shelley are passing her by. Um, not, they're slowing down. So, and she more or less like stops or just slows down almost to a stop and says something and then basically runs on. This could be Gloria Calvary. 
Um, the thing is, Shelley's first statement said that he met Gloria Calvary down the road. And you read that. Whereas in the second statement, in, in, in his later statement, he basically starts talking about the fact that they're standing on the steps and she's coming on top of the steps talking about it as such. So Shelley was just contradicting himself. It's no different than what Marion Baker did on the second floor. Um, you know, he, when you when you go to that bit of the second floor encounter, then you can just eat the uh, fairy tale that's being shoved out by uh, by the Warren Commission or some other individuals. Um, well, I shall keep remain nameless, <laughs> but um, basically. Um, there, there's too much wrong with the story. It's, you know, there's mistakes and there's typos and, you know, there's this, 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 this bits that just Cross look out. funny <laughs> and odd and aren't really a conspiracy, but there's so much odd and so much at odds with the second floor lunchroom encounter that you basically say like, well, this never happened. And I think that Oswald in the end, gave him the idea himself by when he said that he went upstairs to get a Coke on the second floor before he went downstairs to watch the parade as such. Right, because um, initially, let me, let's tell everybody that Marion Baker, you know, we first heard about the second floor lunch encounter from Marion Baker's first day testimony, um, but it it didn't, he didn't put in there that it happened on the second floor. He said, on no, the third, he said it happened on the third floor. and the fourth. And he said yeah. the guy was walking away from the walkway. So that's another thing. There's no mention of a lunchroom or anything about a door or looking right. through the glass and seeing anything and a glimpse and all that rubbish. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. Um, and I think you were, show, you were showing me examples of, of that this encounter maybe even possibly happened. Right inside the the vestibule there. The yeah, that's another floor. thing. Um, the Warren Commission basically renamed the uh, small area with the angled door and the lunchroom itself on the second floor as to a vestibule. Um, at RKC, we started looking into this about two weeks ago, and it was kind of funny because everybody went on Google, and we were all in unison. A vestibule is used in conjunction with outside space it is not used in conjunction on a second or third or a fourth floor as such it is used in conjunction as an area that basically is bordering onto the door that goes to the outside space and basically leading into the actual building as such um the the biggest uh when you listen sorry when you look at the work like Harry D. Holmes, Harry Dean Holmes's statement, when you look at the Dallas Morning News and the New York Herald Tribune uh, newspaper articles that came out on the 23rd with August Campbell's statement, uh, they said uh, they encountered Oswald in the storage room on the first floor. This is, if you're, uh, I'm not sure if you, whether you guys are all familiar with the entrance of the Texas School Book Depository. But basically, what you're looking at is that you go up the steps. When you're on top of the steps, that's called the first floor. Right away there, on top of the steps is the first floor. Then you go through a glass door. That's an area called the vestibule. In the vestibule, you have an elevator, which is important to know. You also have steps. And underneath those steps, there is a small storage room as such. And if you walk through that vestibule, 
you'll go through a double glazed door as well, double doors. And then there's like a counter behind it because behind that is the actual shipping department of the Texas School Book Depository. You have Shelley's offices and Truly's offices on the right. And in the back right, you've got the domino room. And on the back left, that's where the elevators are and the stairs that go up to the second floor. Right. Um, the problem is that there are gaps in the story um, of everything. And that's the fact, the, the, the bit where Truly and Baker are actually meeting is shrouded in fog. Um, because we can't really take Truly or Baker for his words because there's too many discrepancies in what they've been saying. And uh, so it's either that they stood and had a chat just before they went in on the bottom of the stairs, because that's the problem with the Darnell film as well. The Darnell film is swerving back to the left by the time Baker reaches the bottom step roughly, or just the, like maybe two, three feet away from it. So we don't know whether uh, truly met him on the bottom of the steps or he went inside because here's the thing. And this is my question about the whole thing is that if the copper goes in, and he wants to go upstairs because he thinks the shots came from the roof because that's what he originally thought. Then you're thinking about, okay, I got to get up ASAP. So the lift is right in front of you. So you would be actually tapping the button the second you come in because that's what you think. I mean, you don't know it's not, it's only going to the fourth floor unless somebody else tells you to. So it's, you know, there's, there's also, there's the question of the people who saw Baker go in. There's only one person that saw Baker go in with his helmet, and that was Pauline Sanders. He's the only one that mentioned it. No one else. Buell Frazier was standing right there on the top in the middle. Didn't mention it whatsoever. Yeah. Matty Reese didn't mention it, didn't see it. No one mentioned it except Pauline Sanders. And Pauline Sanders was really close with Mrs. Robert Reed. Mrs. Robert Reed worked for Roy Truly. And Mrs. Robert Reeve came with is has come with that story about Oswald mm. mumbling after she said like the president has been shot and uh, walked in there with a coke in his hand, and that's only to corroborate the second floor lunchroom encounter. Yeah, Fraser misses quite a bit out there on the steps. I think uh, I don't know what the hell he's doing out there. He's just yeah. Dumb. This is another thing. I mean, regardless of whether he says. He knows prayer man or no can't see it or it's too fuzzy, this and that and the other. You can see from the material just by looking at the frames is that, that he's interacting. He's looking that way. So he must know who it is. You know? He, yeah. In the he won't being... divulge. I think he's too scared and uh, I don't know. It's you know, ask me to spe- speculate more than I should be doing. Um there are questions. I mean, we still haven't found out the two ladies that are standing on the steps underneath Joe Molina. Um, just the way all that went. Um, I think with RKC, we're going to try and find these people. Uh, I think there's quite a few ladies that are still, that still have survived. They're still alive. Uh, hopefully we can talk to a few of them. Because it would also help with our uh, recognition uh, of all the people in the pictures as such, um, where they went and, you know, afterwards and whether it it goes uh, in sync with uh, what they say in their statements as such. Yeah, I mean, and just to, corro- to corroborate the, the, the lunchroom encounter not ha- happening as we're told, 
you know, you have, you also have the stories of Victoria Adams and yeah. Otis. The, the, well, the back, the, this I uh, said this last week. I said those backstairs have, were busy as hell because not only has Oswald supposedly right run down from the sixth to the second, we've got Victoria Adams going down from the fourth with Sarah, with uh, Sandra Styles. Then we got Otis Williams. He's going up to the fourth, and then going back down to the second. Yeah. And then we've got Jackie Doherty as well, who's going down from the fifth to the first. And nobody sees anybody. <laughs> exactly. And that's that's and, and then of course let's not forget Marion Baker and Roy Truly. And, and they're going and, up. And Dorothy Garner says she went out and on the fourth yeah. floor landing and stood there for a while. Yeah. Exactly. And this is another funny thing is the fact that her testimony is nowhere to be seen. It's hidden. I think Barry Ernest had uh, had a real result. He was well lucky to yeah. get that uh, Martha J. Stroud letter in his hands. I did a fabulous job with that. Um, which also, you know, when you look at that whole backstairs story, if you just start to, you know, it's quite a busy period. You know, if you talk about two or three minutes, then people would have been in hearing all these steps and heels clacking down and so forth. Sandra still saw the elevator cables moving. Um, that is is a mystery on its own as well. The whole thing. Um, and this is where, like, where you start speculating who did what. Right. When, when, when did they go up there and so forth. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel for, to me, it feels like the second floor lunchroom encounter didn't happen. Uh, Oswald was on the first floor. Uh, the story for the second floor lunchroom encounter was never uh, brought out as the story. I mean, there's always something wrong with it, you know? If it wasn't the floor, if it wasn't the, uh, the position where it was at, uh, was he having a Coke? Was he sitting down? Was he standing against the counter? Or was he standing in front of the Coke machine? And so forth. You keep getting new versions over that whole period of time. But for me, what is the biggest giveaway is the fact that they have to take Baker's statement the day before the Warren report is released. Yeah. So I'm not talking about it still needs to be included. No, no, no. LBJ is going to have it, the whole set himself. There you go. Bosh. But the day before that, and I'm thinking, hold on a minute. Haven't you got enough together? Why do you need to do this? Yeah. And why are you still mucking it up with... A Coke bottle as such. I mean, either he had one or he didn't have one. Right. And the thing is, he'd been, th he'd been through the reenactor. He'd been through the testimony. Probably been coached left, right, and center. During the Warren testimony, it went off off the record five times. Um, somebody, uh, Richard Gilbride said it wasn't suspicious. I say it is because every time you go off the record, it is you are... Uh, predetermining the direction of which direction the uh, ship should sail. Exactly. Um, they're just basically they're just trying to cut the the talk off that's happening there and then, and just basically just give it a push into a different direction because we don't want to discuss about anything as such because it would just make them look like fools or 
discredit the evidence they're putting forward and so forth. Mm -hmm. So during Baker, it was five times. Um, to me, that that's it's quite telling. Yeah. Also, the amount of people that were present over there, practically everyone that was a one was present there at those at at those deposition. The de uh, the reenactment was a fraud. Um, when you watch that movie by the Secret Service, I mean, you just you just laugh how yeah. slow. I don't. I mean, if you look at the actual building, the Texas School Texas School Book Depository, when you look at the flights of stairs that someone has to go down, so you're talking two tiny flights of stairs. I think it's about nine, nine on each. So you're 18 steps. So you only have to go down from the sixth floor to the second floor. And if you see how tiny those steps are, and when you can run that whole pathway around the sixth floor and chuck that rifle between the boxes, I'm telling you, well, I'm 50 years old, almost 50 years old. I'll tell you, I would do that in 30 seconds flat, the whole thing, if I had to run. Maybe 40, that would be it. This is another thing. I mean, Oswald could have sat there with a Coke and opened his lunch by the time Baker and Truly come in because it could have gone down so incredibly fast. Right. And from Baker's side, they did the reenactment in a fraudulent way because they counted from the very first shot, whereas Baker didn't park his bike and started running about 15 to 20 seconds after the last shot and so forth. So that all got messed up as well. So the whole timing perspective, from a timing perspective, it was a joke. It didn't add up at all. Um, then the uh, first affidavit, of course, by Baker is a mistake as well. It starts talking about the third and the fourth, or the fourth floor, walking mm -hmm. away from him, no mention of a lunchroom, and so forth. And then, um, then truly, he gets into the jig uh, this evening of the 22nd, and he makes a really funny uh, statement there where he said that when they, when they walked in together, uh, into the vestibule, they said they saw no one there. So, which is really odd because you know all people are going back into the in the office and into you know the first, second, and the fourth floor and so forth. Um, and apparently, no one's there in that vestibule, which doesn't ring true at all. No, something happened in there that, and again, that then points to Orcus Campbell, who basically says like, well, yeah, we saw Oswald when we came back in. We saw Oswald in the in the storage room over there. Well, Bart, let, let me read this real quick um, sure. from, from an article that you sent me about this very thing. Uh, and it's, it, this was in, in the newspaper. And I'm not sure exactly when it was in the newspaper. It had to be fairly soon after because it says, and I quote, O.V. Campbell, vice president of the firm, said he and truly superintendent of the firm were standing in front of the building at 411 Elm when the shooting started. Campbell said he ran toward a grassy knoll west of the building where he thought the sniper had hidden. He said truly and an officer ran into the building. In a storage room on the first floor, the officer, gun drawn, spotted Oswald. Does this man work here? The officer reportedly asked truly. Truly, who said he had interviewed and hired Oswald a couple months earlier, reportedly told the policeman that Oswald was a worker. The policeman and truly continued their search. Oswald later failed to report at 115 uh, roll, roll call of employees. Truly reported this to the police. Yeah, so right, this is from the yeah. This is from the Dallas Morning News. Okay. Uh, November the 23rd, that was released. Um, that's got Ken Biffle over uh, all over it. Um, it's been told that Ken Biffle overheard Roy Truly say all this. The other one 
is a article from the New York Herald Tribune. And I'll uh, quote this one here. This is also from the 23rd. It basically says, Ocus V. Campbell, vice president of the textbook firm, said Oswald's duty was to fill orders and wrap books and that the sixth floor of the seven-story building would have been easily accessible to Oswald. Mr. Campbell said, shortly after the shooting, we raced back into the building. We had been watching outside the parade. We saw him, Oswald, in a small storage room on the ground floor. Then we noticed he was gone. Mr. Campbell added, of course, Oswald and the others were on that lunch hour, but he did not have permission to leave the building, and we haven't seen him since. So hmm. that's basically two ways of Ocus Campbell, who actually later on just keeps distancing himself. He's a very elusive figure. Uh, Linda Zambanini discovered him standing next to Truly in a frame on the Weakman film. And he's standing very far to the right uh, on the edge. Uh, he's quite a tall fella. I'd say he's about 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, and, uh, yeah, he was discovered standing next to Truly. But other than that, we haven't seen him in other pictures at all. Um, it's very hard to get hold of, very hard to uh, find out about his past. Yeah, now and to the listeners, you know, before you dismiss this as, you know, errant reporting, you know, like some of the facts that were coming in, you know, and people were reporting them as they came in, and a lot of them were wrong. This is quotes from an actual person that hopefully they either recorded or, you know, wrote down and then put it into the newspaper. So it's, it's a little bit different than errant facts that, you know, this is supposedly quoting the man himself. And this is what he said that they saw Oswald yeah. by the storage room on the first floor. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty damning, you know? Hmm. Then there's the bit that, Harold Norman said during this HSCA uh, testimony, and he basically said that an officer stopped Oswald from going out on the first floor, and he heard it from Billy Lovelady saying that. So I know it's second uh, secondary, but it was still interesting to uh, add because he thought it was interesting. Um, there are about half a dozen indicators that Oswald was on the first floor, um, as said by other people. Now, the most damning bit, of course, is the interrogation of Oswald. If you start delving into that, you begin with the Fritz notes that he said didn't exist at first and were hidden for more than 30 years. Um, the Fritz notes are... Uh, five pages of his notebooks that uh, sort of read, uh, given by an anonymous donor to the ARRB, which I find quite, uh, quite funny. But uh, in those notes, uh, there are basically the questions and the answers. And it's amazing that uh, there's five pages of this stuff of a very tiny notebook. Don't forget, it's not like people grab an eight sheet of A4 and start penning stuff down. It's like they all have these little letter-bound small notebook notebooks where they start writing in. Uh, Oswald was interrogated for about 12 or 13 hours out of the 43 that he was there. Yeah. So you've got like five pages. I mean, this is, this is the kicker. So you've got five pages of this stuff which the writer itself 
said he didn't do any notes at all, let alone make a tape recording. So they said, like, no, we, we, we asked the Bureau twice to get a tape recording, and in both counts, it, it didn't go through. Uh, but you know what? Even so, when you have uh, those kind of setbacks, but on the day that the president gets killed and there is about 100 press, maybe 200 press in the corridors as such, you know, do you think it would occur to them to borrow some gear, like a microphone and a tape recorder as such, and say, you know, we have to take uh, This is quite important. Let's tape this. Yeah. So just the refusal or just not the fact that it's not being done, something like that. And I don't care if you're, if it's 50 years ago and the uh, equipment was ancient and God knows what, there was bulks of it on the street in vans lying about. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's just one of these things where you just go, well, we asked for a tape recorder twice. This is quite a big case. We didn't get a tape recorder, but I bet there's somebody in a corner who could give us one for, for a day or two. Well, they Let's had ask somebody. 50 reporters in the hallway. They could have grabbed one At and least. said, look, hey, man, we need this. Thank At you. At least. At least. Um, so what, what I'm getting to is that um, the Fritz notes are very basic, but the other notes that are around are even more basic. Uh, for Sorrell's notes, they were actually inadvertently admitted into evidence and published as such, and nobody realized that the first half page is about Oswald and the rival. And, and for Sorrell's was practically in on almost any interrogation of Oswald. The same goes for Thomas E. Kelly. He was there oh, at least four uh, interrogations as well. Um, his report is very basic. It's a two-pager. doesn't mention a lot. Um, the best one is Harry Dean Holmes. Yeah. Harry Dean Holmes was an FBI informant. Um, I found some bits uh, recently, documentation at Mary Farrell, where he's been assigned the letters T2 and T10. And Greg told me a couple of weeks ago that T stands for temporary. Mm -hmm. But what it basically, the list is, my the list that I found was partially redacted. And then John Armstrong posted an article about uh, a couple of weeks ago about the rifle. And he posted two pages that were uh, stuck together from three, I think, especially this. Uh, no, yeah. And um, he had a bunch of numbers missing that I did have, but he had a lot more unredacted stuff that I had. So, and slowly you start to see that there was at least two people that were FBI informants inside the U.S. Postal Service, uh, same as San Antonio, uh, labor groups, and so forth. So they had they had FBI informants everywhere. And um, Holmes is most interesting when it comes to the uh, interrogations as such. And they and he puts things on the first floor. What Oswald said, and he also distinctly mentions the word vestibule in conjunction with the first floor. Um, I've read that overall there are about 20 to 25 different people present with Lee Harvey Oswald during his inter interrogations. And uh, you, when, you, you, when you see how little there's actually of those interrogations, it's, uh, it's shocking how little 
it's almost like uh, you're in the Soviet Union during the Cold War and everything is just being kept doors and uh, nobody talks about it and stuff like that. Um, Sean Murphy did, of course, did a, a lot of uh, research into that. And he also concluded that he thought that uh, Wolf Fritz's notes were copied of James Bookout, uh, an FBI agent. Um, there, I think there's some truth to that. Uh, that there, there are bits in Bookout's notes and uh, what uh, Fritz took over as such. There's too much uh, stuff that looks the same. And it looks like a copy job. Yeah. Well, I, I ran across some stuff, and I think it was Fritz's Warren Commission testimony that he told him that he didn't take notes at the time of the interrogation, but that yeah. a couple of days after Oswald died, yeah, he he said that he wanted he said he wanted to you know write write some stuff down because he knew that you know he would forget it or something something that had effect. So well, Harry Dean Holmes waited three weeks with putting something on paper. He made a report on, the, I think, the 17th of December, as such. And he just put it down there, there and then. So it was all done in a very controlled way. Um, but, uh, yeah, the interrogations are pretty much the giveaway, the, the primary giveaway to the first floor. That and in conjunction with Marcus Campbell's quotes, which come from two different sources, Um some people think it's just Kent Biffle, but that's not the case. Um, one is Kent Biffle overheard. The other one is a direct quote from Marcus Campbell. And like I said earlier, um, he just distanced him more and more in his uh, depositions. Uh, didn't know him. Quiet. Never talked to him. Blah, blah, blah. So um, all a bit odd. A bit strange. Uh, Baker himself, as said before, has basically made numerous mistakes what I find uh, the most um, solid person in this whole uh, lying game is Roy Truly. he pretty much uh, hardly gives anything away and um, it's also telling that uh, there's a document I don't know if you ever read it but uh, there's a document where especially an agent an FBI agent asks somebody an agent in charge about whether they can give uh, Roy truly a tour of the uh, building and if he could get a letter of recommendation from the director and so forth. So like, um, like he's been a very good lap doc and uh, shouldn't we send him a little reward as such for what he's done for us and so forth. That's, right. that's the, that's the tone of that letter. Basically Roy truly was a racist as well. Um, there are quotes by him where he uses the N word. Um, it was just really right wing, very conservative person um yeah i asked i asked barry Ernest. uh it's been a couple years ago um i asked him because he actually got to meet roy truly and i think it was in later in the 60s 67 60 i read about it. i read his book yeah and i asked him i was like you know all right so you're you're interacting with this guy i said did you think that he was hiding anything or he was being untruthful or being you know shifty in any kind of way you know maybe trying yeah. to not be totally forthcoming and and what Barry said is his impression of Roy truly is that he was a a genuine person and that he, he you know just caught up in the wrong thing but of course this is his this is his impression now I agree you know with the premise that I think he knows a little bit more than what he's letting on now oh yeah oh yeah oh god yeah 
Speaking of Barry Ernest, I don't know if you're aware, but Barry hasn't been too favorable on Prayer Man. He put a blog post out about roughly four or five days ago uh, where he basically attacked Prayer Man and he was almost going to throw it into the category like Badge Man or, you know. Oh, no. like yeah, exactly. Things like 9-11. And I thought, at first I thought, well, it's a bit ignorant to say because it's, like I said at the beginning, Prayer Man, the picture, that's the cherry on top. It's the evidence, the paper trail that shows what's going on. And Barry Ernest should know first and foremost because he dug into Sarah Stanton and um, Victoria Adams and right. uh, Dor- Dorothy Garner as such and come up come up with the document, the Martha J. Stroud document. So he, you know, his book was part of my research into the whole thing because he spoke to those ladies. And you add on Sandra Stiles' interview with uh, Sean Murphy in, I think it was in 2009, which was very interesting as well. Um, the... But RKC does similar research like that. I mean, um, you know, certain people talk about uh, certain characters. That's all they do. Like Buell Frazier is being talked about by Mick Purdy. Um, They just follow every lead that's possibly there. And um, I don't don't see any difference for what we do compared to Barry Ernest. It's just that a lot of people look at the picture and say, that's not Oswald. And it's like, well... We're saying it's Oswald because we've got 50 reasons to show you yeah. why it is him. You know, we're not just saying like, well, that's a blurred picture and uh, we'll put some other blurry pictures next to it and, uh, you know, we'll uh, manipulate the whole thing. Yeah, or say, or say that they uh, they faked the photograph to make it look like uh, yeah. the old lady. Well, that, <laughs> but it's, it's not just that, but it's also the amount of evidence. And the thing is, when you start looking at the footage of the front steps of the depository from all these angles, so you're talking Vickman, Couch, uh, you're talking Algins, uh, Darnell, uh, the Robert Hughes film, the Bell film, and Towner, all these bits, yeah. and basically start looking at it, and you slowly start to see the positions of all these people and what they what they've done and what they say in their uh, first affidavit, the second affidavit, or the ones that haven't been heard, like Carolyn Arnold, for instance, all that. You know, she gave Oswald already an alibi, but um, I'll get back to that in a mo. Um, it's the puzzle of having to go through all the documents and, you know, like, and all the witness, uh, the witness testimony for the Warren Commission, all that. And you have to trawl through a lot of rubbish. Yeah. To try and basically piece all the bits together. It cannot be done in 140 characters, sadly enough. You have to spend an enormous amount of time going through all these documents and basically take mental note of what all these people saying about that bit of that certain situation as such. The beauty of the whole thing about Prayer Man is that it's compartmentalized. It's like it's all happening on those steps or inside that building. It doesn't go anywhere else. For a lot, for a lot of years, people have just basically been going on a wild goose chase and looked at the problems from a 
time factor. Yeah. And instead of saying like, no, no, what's everybody saying? And why are the discrepancies and who's lying and uh, who wasn't there and claims to be, to have been there, blah, blah, blah. All these bits just take mental note for that. Well, speaking I mean, of the steps, Bart, um, have, did you hear the new Roy Lewis interview? The noisy one in the in the restaurant. Yes. Um, well, <laughs> I, mean, I spent a few minutes on it, but then I got so so pissed off with the whole thing uh, with the sound. Yeah. And I uh, I have to be honest, I do have the intention of listening to the whole thing, but uh, I, no, I can't say I have. Well, there's not much to it, but uh, I will tell you this. Um, If he could be interviewed by the right person in the right environment and ask the right questions, you know, I think that this guy might be valuable to to things because, you know, I mean, he's he's right there. He's in front of whoever prayer man is. You know, I know know he says... Here's an argument to make because... People say about prayer man a lot of things, and they say one of the main things they say nobody said they saw Oswald there. As a matter of fact, quite a few people denied he was there. Okay, yeah. to which I say, did anyone say see Roy Edward Lewis on the bottom right of the stairs? No, they didn't. No one mentioned him. So I ask you another question: Did anyone mention Joe Molina? standing right next to Buell Frazier and behind Otis Williams. Joe Molina worked 16 years for the Texas School Book Repository. And he was completely ignored. It was even ignored by Otis Williams in Larry Sneed's book, which is, what, 25, 30 years later when he does the whole thing? Yeah. Doesn't mention Molina. He says he's in trouble, this, that, and the other, but he never says, I was standing with Molina on the steps. And why is that? Because Molina gets outed as a subversive by Chief Curry. I put the video, I chopped it up. There's two instances where Chief Curry's blabbing to the press in the corridor on the third floor. And he basically names Molina by the second bit. I put it up on uh, the my Jesse Curry and the Joe Molina page. I insert the video there. Um, the there At that point, when they basically call him a subversive, that's basically like I don't know, marking a massive red cross on someone's front door and saying, yeah. go on, there's your target, go over there. Um, you know, it it draws all the nutters out of the, uh, out of the wood and they start making phone calls and God knows what. We know all about these harassments that all, a lot of these people already had. Well, the fact that Molina was um, branded as a subversive on a list of subversive people living in Dallas. Um, he had the, the DPD visit him the night of the assassination at about 2 or 3 a.m. between that time. Woke them all up. He had four kids. They woke them all up and they wanted to search the house. They had a search warrant with them, but they didn't have to execute it because he invited them in. They didn't find anything. And then they find out basically through an FBI informant who's been there because Molina was part of the GI form. It was basically Hispanic military servicemen from the Second World War. Right. And what they wanted is like more, more recognition for their rights and all that, you know, human rights and so forth. Um, and the Communist Party was part of that as well. Communist Party tried to gain more people and when Molina was head 
they wanted to, him to become a member of the Communist Party, but Molina always refused, didn't want to have anything to do with it. So just the fact that he had the whiff of communism on him basically was worked to his disadvantage because um, at the days after the assassination, the week after the assassination, the Texas School Book Depository was getting phone calls. On August Campbell and Roy Truly were getting phone calls that they weren't uh, uh, getting ordering books for schools from uh, people that had communists uh, yeah. in their service and stuff like that and all that rubbish. And so the women, Sarah Stanton and Caroline Arnold, were asking him to only sign a blank paper instead of anything with the letterhead of the company because uh, all the phone calls they were getting in. Um, Molina was let go a month after the assassination. He got a pay packet of uh, three, uh, if I'm not mistaken, three months salary, three months half salary and a Christmas bonus of some sort. I'm basically told to let go. And they used the excuse that they were going for uh, to automate uh, their systems as such. I think Otis Williams was older and closer to pension than Joe Molina was. So... The whole thing doesn't add up. Well, he was white. (laughs) Sorry? He was white. Yeah, true. The the racism (laughs) factor is another thing that is uh, overlooked a lot in this whole uh, enigma, this investigation of the whole thing. Um, How right wing, you know, KKK uh, was a big thing back then. Uh, The people that weren't wearing those outfits, there's at least two or three times that amount that would that would lean that way, but say, oh, well, yeah. no, I, I have no need for a membership, but I'll support you, whichever, whatever you want to do, blah, blah, blah. Um, so um, I think it was prevalent inside the uh, Dallas police force as well at that time. It was a normal thing for them over there. Um, it's not something you talk about, you know, uh, even now I find a lot of people uh, are uncomfortable talking about it. The, yeah. the treatment uh, that people got. They don't like then. being called the city of hate. Yeah, but they were. I mean, yeah, there's yeah. no way around. I mean, yeah, and especially 50 years ago, you know, yeah. it was in the I mean, South, and uh, it was a whole different time over there. And, yeah, before uh, Civil Rights Act, you know. Exactly, that's another thing, um, which just shows how how well how prehistoric their attitude was back then. Some of them still do now, but they're fighting a losing battle. Um, so. Coming back to uh, the issues inside the Texas School Book Depository and the movie I'm working on, um, the the next movie, the next installment, I call it V2, but um, that's basically going to be quite a different movie than I've shown so far. Um, this was the very first time I used this software in conjunction with that much material uh, to put a story together. Um, I think the movie, next movie, is going to be as long as as the first one, but um, it's going to be much more focused on the people and the paperwork. Um, the pa- the paperwork, of course, gets all the attention in in the book. I honestly don't know when the book's going to come out. I hope to release it as a free Kindle and a print-on-demand book, um, hopefully in September and October, if I'm lucky, if I get it together. 
And the movie itself, I'm going to. I'm. I've got a. I've got a talk at the DPUK uh, DPUK uh, conference in April. So I might show the movie there and then if I can finish it. And otherwise, it's going to be in the summer. I'm just going to do a talk uh, over there. Um, the the movie itself, it'll have more emphasis on the first floor shenanigans and the second floor what's happening why the stairs are the back stairs are so busy corporate more 3d models as well for people to understand um, and um, at the same time we're still searching for the Vikman and the Darnell film uh, it's you know you just have 10 guys we're spread uh, worldwide we've got uh, uh, five people, five, six people in Australia, three people in the UK. We've got about three or four and four or five in the States spread all over. So it's very hard to um, say, uh, oh, let's do this particular thing only. But um, yeah. Well, hundreds of people are going to hear this. So people <laughs> out there, if you if you have any information about yeah. the first um, uh, pictures, yeah, after pictures especially and uh what we're really after are the Darnell and the Vickman films. Now, what we know from the Darnell film is that, as per Gary Mack said, that the Darnell and the Vickman films were flown to New York that very same weekend and have never been heard ever hmm. of again. So the myth goes. Yeah. Um, but apparently there was a first generational copy now this is the copy apparently being used by oliver stone in that documentary because this is where actually this bit of this snippet of film originated from there's a uh, back in 94 i bought the vhs uh, the double box cassette and it had a documentary with it yeah and that was called beyond jfk the question of conspiracy and in this documentary, they go through all these things. They've got Robert Groden in it, and they've got a lot of the actors that are playing in the film as well. So the documentary is actually swinging between the film and a documentary on its own when it comes to the story. And then after about, I'm thinking about 20-odd minutes in, there's a snippet, and you see the bit where Baker basically runs towards the steps. And that's the first time I actually saw it. Um, I never knew it was done by Darnell until about four or five years ago, um, but I knew about it back in you know 21 years ago. Um, nobody also really uh, took good stills of it because even when Sean Murphy was working on it uh, two and a half years ago, because it's not that old, Prayer Man is a very young discovery. Um, you look at the, uh, the the footage that the stills that they used of that, and they were a lot worse than what we've got now and there hasn't been that much improvement in the end uh, the best images have come from uh, the blu-ray disc but uh, unfortunately only uh, the actual film is on blu-ray the documentary on that very same disc is still in the same dvd format so they didn't crank it up they didn't res it up i don't know why they didn't do that whether it's technical not possible or it's going to look like rubbish or i don't know but that's, we think, is that first-generation copy of the Darnell film. I think they got it off Gary Mack back then while they were making JFK the movie as such. 
and got a hold of that snippet of film. That's, I think, what it is. What I know from the Wiegmann film is that the Wiegmann film, that not even NBC has got it, and the they had to go to the Hearst Corporation because the thing about the Wiegmann, although it's also behind lock and key, they did sell copies beforehand. And um, we know that the Hearst Corporation uh, has got it. But again, you'd have to pay them f- to get it. Um, the people that did the Death in Didi Plaza DVD, they were uh, they had to go to the Hearst Corporation because they couldn't get a good copy from NBC itself. So it's really odd that like you know even headquarters doesn't have a clue where these films are. I've been in correspondence with Brian Hocker of NBC Five. I had a phone call of him as well. This is all in I don't know late October, early November last year. And I had a really amicable chat with him for about half an hour. And um, he just didn't know where it was. And, um, you know, he could only point to the stuff that was online available. That does show there is a bit that has Weakman in it. But I don't know what generation that is. And it's on videotape, you know, three and a quarter or three and a half inch tape. And it's just, you know, I really don't want to pull off that. Um, and the same, there is a... On the same subject, there's a um, TV item, news item, where Gary Mack visits NBC5 and they go down the basement. And this is this is what's so so annoying about the whole thing is they go into just a room on a corridor, and it's just you know it's just any typical basement. You know, it's not like. It's all stacked away in clear, transparent cases and cooling systems and God knows what. Nothing in there, mate. It's just a bunch of shelving units with a bunch of boxes on it and the reels just lie on top of each other. Mm. And it's got, you know, it's just lying there. And it's like, you know, this is just <laughs> what the real problem is. But the problem is not just that, the way they've kept it. It's the fact that they lie about it because the Darnell film, for instance, was done by uh, while filming for WBAP. WBAP became KXAS. KXAS became part of NBC5. But KXAS did a lot on Texas, a lot of newsreels, everything. So forget this. They say we've got the plan to digitize all the films of KXAS says the North Texas University. And North Texas University is a really good source to uh, get the uh, all the police reports and all the affidavits uh, from uh, from Dallas from, yeah, that, from, po- from, from that weekend, for instance. That's Portal to history, yeah. Them. Yeah. So they get, so they are being told they get everything. So I contact them and I say, okay, where's the JFK stuff? And they go, well, we don't know. I said, well, we'll pay you to, I know you're going to scan it in at high risk, so we'll pay you to get it done, you know. And then it says basically like, um, we don't have anything. It's all gone to the sixth floor museum instead. And <laughs> I'm thinking, well, why would you do that? Because, you know, you're storing the the documents already. So why would you give the masters or the material that you've got to the sixth floor museum? And it's the only thing I can think about is, is control. That's all that it's about. It's just yep. controlling the flow to this stuff. I know, for instance, that they made 4K scans of the Tina Towner film. And if I'm not mistaken, they did this four years ago, three or four years ago, 
and nobody has seen him still. Then they did a press release about a year ago in Feb, said they were going to release him soon. It's not happening. Hmm. You just get stonewalled, just like the agency. They stonewall everything. It's the same thing with not admitting to having the film when Gary Mack emails emails Darren and says, hold on a minute, I've got this, We, I know about this, that the Sixth Floor Museum has got a first-generation copy of Darnell. And they claim they don't have it now. So, and of course they can hide you know, behind Gary Mack. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a really frustrating thing to deal with. But we're working at NARA at the same time with ROKC. We're trying to get ascertain the documents about uh, certain individuals. Hopefully we'll get hold of them in the next few weeks, which would be really good. And um, we've got plenty going on. Uh, the movie, of course. I've got the book. I think Greg is doing uh, this whole thing as well. I think it's going to be in his book part three. Uh, I think he's going to put uh, a lot of effort and attention towards the whole segment. Was will be in the. Uh, School Glossary as such. And um, then we've got a conference. ROKC conference is coming up. And we're working hard on getting some really special guests on that as speakers. And, you know, we're working on, on, on many different things. The thing is, like, the, the problem with this is that the puzzle is not getting smaller. It's only getting bigger. And there's uh, many pieces uh, to fit in still as it, as it stands. I never thought it was going to take this long, but uh, it is. And, uh, you know, I now come to believe it's going to take a little while longer. So. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff to go through. And then uh, it's kind of like a can of worms. You know, you open up one thing over here and then you got two more things pop up over here because yeah. <laughs> of what you the, just found. And, yeah, it just never tr- ends. The trick is not to get distracted too much. That's the trick in this whole thing. Right. Um it's really easy going on to something else and pull yourself away from it and say, you know what, this is not going to lead. I just basically say like, well, is this A, B or C type of information that I can use with regards to Texas School Book Repository or uh, Prayer Man as such. And if it just, you know, if it's just really low in the category, I just pick up, you know, whatever. I'll make a note of it, but I'm not going to be sifting through a page and page and page after it because I just don't think it would have the relevance. And let's face it, time is up the issue. Uh, yeah. It's the most valuable commodity and uh, this has been going on for 52 years and counting. And they're, and they're pretty good at in hiding it and obfuscating it. Um, here's the thing, and I think this is what uh, ROKC is right about, is the fact that if you want work to have a possibility of opening this case and get somebody to say, hold on a minute, if Oswald didn't show JFK, who did? Then I think prayer man is the best thing forward. That's that's my personal belief. Because if we were to basically get a really good scan of the dino for a minute, it would show that it was Oswald as such. Yeah. Then that would mean that's a smoking oh, gun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a smoking gun. That picture would then be a smoking gun. They'd have um, to do well, something, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I, that's why I fear that the film will never come out as such. I don't have very high hopes on, uh, 
getting better scans as, uh, as we have by now. Um, we've got a few irons left in the fire uh, when it comes to it, but I find it really hard to uh, have high hopes for that because, you know, they've kept it out of the picture for such a long time. Um, the only yeah. way would probably get hold of that copy of, uh, of Gary Mack or um, <clears throat> or NBC, but um, even then, um, wh- whether that's the 16 millimeter film itself or a VHS copy, you know, which makes it just murkier from the get go as well. So, yeah, um, th- those films are uh, are going to be like uh, our. Um, what do you call that? That's our quest to, put, yeah. to pull Excalibur out of the out of the rock or something like that. Well, we also um, have uh, we also have technology on our side too, and it just keeps getting better, better and better. Is it? Yeah, that's okay. This is the thing that I did last year. I ended up going and download every high res documentary available, anything that was at least in seven twenty pixels. And then I just ripped the living hell out of it with stills and little video clips mm-hmm. of uh, who did what. And it, it was more to put it together in, a, in my head, like as in a time frame type of thing of when Oswald was doing this, when Oswald was doing that. Um, it's because we made those, I made those rips, we managed to recognize a lot more people that were standing in front of the steps, you know, um, James Bookout as well. Linda, Linda Zambonini recognized him as well. She picked him out. Uh, I think we put, picked him out together from a yearbook, high school yearbook. And then she picked him out when he was like 20, 30 years old and he was bigger, fatter as well. So <laughs> and she picked him out. There's this, um, footage of, uh, Oswald in his white t-shirt when he says, uh, I don't know what information you guys have been getting, but I emphatically deny these charges. And he's basically being pushed into the interrogation. There's a guy right behind it wearing a hat. That's James Bookhouse. When Oswald is shot and lies on the stretcher and he's basically being transported and you see all these people bending down, pushing it. And some guy is holding his hand. Mm -hmm. That's James Bookhouse as well. He was that close to Oswald at some pivotal times. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, I don't... Um, the, bo- the book itself... Um, it's, it's going to be more detailed, of course, than the movie, because uh, otherwise the movie would last, uh, I don't know, six or eight hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's so much uh, to talk about uh, these people, especially not just Oswald. Actually, Oswald gets the least say in this whole prey, man. The only thing that's uh, being used uh, with Oswald is just uh, what he said during his interrogations and so forth. Barely anything what he said in that morning, you know, but all that's left is basically of what he said in his interrogations and what transpires of these transcripts uh, from uh, Fritz and Holmes and Bookout and so forth. Um He's probably uh, the least uh, the least he has the least amount of time in, in in the whole thing. It is more about what actually the others are all doing and what they're saying as such. Yeah, right. and um, it's just mapping all that out uh, with Baker, Lovelady, Shelley, Fraser. Fraser is 
quite an enigma. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, when you look at him and Lenny Mae Randall's testimony, when you start looking at that, um, they think he's in Parkland, but he's not. So they pick him up from that other hospital whose name, which name evades me, but um, they pick him up. They, which uh, Wilfrid shoves this piece of paper in front of him that says, I'm a co-conspirator. Yeah. And I confess. And of course, <laughs> even though Fraser's 19 years old, he still says, I'm not going to sign that. Well, who and, would? Uh, yeah. and basically Fritz raises his hand to like indicating he wants to hit him, but they get interrupted as such. Um, then they let Fraser go. And just when he's about home, they pull him back in. So they call him back into the DPD station. And then they submit him to a lie detector test. And the results of that lie detector test still have to become public. Um, you know, those are quite questionable things uh, happening to a 19-year-old kid. There are many questions about Fraser's uh, departure, um, whether Oswald actually drove in that car with him, whether he put a package. I mean, you could do a whole program on the package itself, uh, uh, you know, um, whether uh, Oswald was in that car in the morning, whether uh, he got dropped off. Uh, how Oswald left the Texas School Book Depository building. Um, the official story is that, that he walked out front, that he directed somebody with a badge. Uh, some say he said Secret Service agents. They say a reporter to the phone in the center of the, on the first floor. Um, whereas Frazier said he left through the back and yeah. walked a yeah. total different route. Um, the police, you know, um, the whole bus route thing, I think Ed Ledoux, uh, has done a, uh, brilliant piece at ROKC about that, about the whole bus fare thing. You should actually have him on the show. He's a very good talker and, uh, he's very knowledgeable. Um, the, the bus itself is, 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 is as fake as the second floor. Um, the whole thing about going to, uh, the rooming house with Arlene Roberts, uh, that's really questionable as well. Um, there's many, many facets like that, uh, you, that, that can be compared to the second floor lunchroom encounter. And then a lot was just lied together, put together. And then basically people were being told that's the way it's going to be like, and that's the way it's going to be written down. And there you go. You just have to swallow it. That's yep. that. Yeah, that's how it goes, and that's how you know. Um, I I always have a bit of a problem when people start stamping their foot down. They go, "It was a coup d'état. And it was this and that." And the way I look at it is that is that uh, there is an elected official who uh, is going to go against the grain, not just with a few bits, but with everything and everybody, and especially in foreign policy which, of course, is a major cash cow. And uh, they get rid of him. They don't get rid of him because they hate him as such and this and that. They hate him because business has been booming for more than 20 years. 
And the people that have been living of it have been doing it for that period of time as well, you know. Um, the, the whole military, uh, the military industrial complex as such, uh, the people of the agencies um, and so forth. They had a, a thing going. And, you know, the last thing they need is an, is an elected official who's going to either going to go away within four, maximum eight years and telling them what to do. And, uh, you know, he, he rubbed up way too many people the wrong way. That's that's roughly how it went. But see, to me, Rob, that can happen anywhere. That can happen in, in, in the workplace as well. That if you've really? got like you're in the office or workshop or whatsoever and you've got 20 guys together and women and you're basically doing your job and you've got a team and something's going on all of a sudden there's a brand new team leader gone and you're just going to throw all the current work procedures overboard and then just basically does it his way and it's just something you just absolutely do not like well that type of feeling multiply that by 50 and you get probably the feeling of what what those people were thinking of back then that's roughly what i think it is it also, I've never been interested in finding who did the shooting. I mean, it's probably, you know, Cuban exiles that pulled the trigger. But, you know, you, you're never going to know for sure. And that's another thing that got me into that. I have to keep keep reminding myself about things. There's the reason why I do this Texas, uh, this, this concentrate on this segment of the Texas School Book Depository and Prayer Man as such a baker and truly is is the fact that if there is an answer in this whole case, I think it lies in that segment of it. I think people have been banging on about the second shooter or the third shooter or the shooter that never was or the mob and this one and the other. And it's been running in circles for decades and they never managed to pull something up that may look like something in the end and go, well, hold on a minute. This is actually not bad what you're putting together here because we're talking when you look at the whole case, you're looking at people that were standing in front of the building, that stood on the steps, were inside the building on the first floor, on the third floor, the fourth floor, the fifth floor. So you've got many perspectives about all what these people did in that confined situation as such. Um, the comparison between the, the first day statements and the second and the uh, statements that come six or nine months later as such and the discrepancies between them. Um, you get a picture painted that a lot of it has been manipulated. You know, this is old news. I mean, you know, Harold Weisberg said it already back then that they just, they only took the stuff that were, was beneficial for pointing Oswald out as the, as the lone gunman as such. They yeah. weren't really looking at the evidence, the way it was presented as such. If they had, if they were looking at the evidence as such, They would have, they would have called Carolyn Arnold. Understand, because Carolyn Arnold produced an alibi for Oswald. And basically, the way it goes is that her first affidavit that she did for the FBI, <coughs> excuse me, um, she basically starts talking that while she was standing out front, she saw a glimpse of Oswald behind the door of the front of the front of the Texas School Book Depository. 
Then in 78, she does an interview and she says, it has a, there's no truth with it whatsoever. I never signed this, blah, 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 blah. What she did say was that she saw Oswald at about 12.15 in the lunchroom on the second floor having lunch. Now, the significance of that is, is quite important because the timestamp, the 12.15 timestamp, Outside, across the Texas School Book Depository, is Arnold Rowland. And Arnold Rowland makes the mention of a shooter standing there with a rifle. And the guy's wearing a light tan jacket. You can't see his head because of the angle he's standing at. But he clearly can see this guy. Now, what's the connection? The connection is that he basically hears on the radio. I don't know specifically what it was. But he hears basically a message that says, we're on such and such a street and we're turning, blah, blah, blah. Now, because of the Dallas Police radio logs, they're timed. So people look back into it and they basically see that at 12.15 exactly, this message was broadcast. So if Oswald is in the lunchroom at 12.15, what is the guy doing on the sixth floor with a rifle standing there in front of his in hmm. front of his chest? This is a different person, and this is also verifiable evidence. So basically, like <clears throat> if Oswald wasn't in that first floor window or behind it in the vestibule, to be precise, um, then he was in that lunchroom at twelve fifteen. It's either one way or another, as far as I'm concerned, with Caroline Arnold. And that makes him not the shooter. I mean, if he were standing in the vestibule, then it would be at 12.25. So that would be an impossible for him to be the shooter as such. Sorry, got a cough. <coughs> I hear you. Get it out. Because we've been working in the cold snow over here for a couple couple weeks now. and I've been, uh, I had a hell of a cough there for a couple of days myself. We've had the flakiest winter in years. I'm not kidding. It's only been cold here for a couple of days. And about two weeks ago, we had a week of frost. And other than that, it's been laughable. It's way, been way too warm compared to other winters. Yeah, we had three feet of snow a couple of weeks ago. And then, oh uh, yeah, five inches. Siberia. The past couple of days, freezing rain. And then today, today it was 50 degrees. So. Wow. Crazy. But yeah, no, I think I think so you guys that, okay. are on the right track. Um, you know, as, uh, as far yeah. as all this, uh, you know, the, the corroborating evidence. You know, it's not just about the picture. Yeah, the picture's it's, good, but it's about I mean, everything else too. The picture would would convince everyone right away and jump on this one right away. Um, that's the thing. Uh, that a lot of people go for. It's the shortcut, the ultimate shortcut, basically score and finding that piece of film and then come out with it. Um, this is another thing that the deniers won't do. They all sit there on all these internet forums, education forum, JFK assassination forum, people like Albert Doyle, for instance. They talk so much, yeah, they won't lift a finger to do anything about it. If they're so hardcore and hell bent on it, um, 
then why don't they spend time writing some emails to um, NBC5 and to the uh, Sixth Floor Museum and start uh, putting some pressure on these people and uh, saying that they should release the films as such or indicate where the films are actually at. Yeah. Uh, instead of that, they just go into topics and just bombard it with their drivel and just um, just bore the living hell out of everyone with <laughs> their opinions as such. Um, they don't really impress anyone um, with their speculation. I mean, my main thing was that I was so impressed with what Sean Murphy did. But in all honesty, Sean Murphy's work was cluttered. And also, uh, I wasn't really uh, enamored by uh, uh, the way he cut out these documents and just showed only the passage as such. I was, I was been more of the opinion that I wanted to see the entire document and or the entire bit of newspaper, right? And a, a bit clearer. Um, I thought the whole thing I was a bit disorganized because at first, the first thing I did was actually copy and paste everything that Sean Murphy wrote. Uh, at the education forum. The funny thing is, is that he started a thread about prayer man two weeks before, uh, the one at the education forum. Um, the one at the JFK assassination forum, uh, that forum is filled with trolls and deniers and lone nutters that just jump into that. And the problem is that, that the problem that manifested there is still, uh, still manifested itself within that, within that group is that they can't put anyone forward uh, as a candidate for being uh, there. Um, nobody said they were standing at that bit. Um, nobody said they saw someone standing over there. So um, they can't, they're a bit stuck. And when you put all the evidence in front of them, then they try to avoid that. They just basically rather just discuss the actual photograph itself. And the photograph is, is rubble. It's it's rubbish. It's a tiny bit of detail from a 16 millimeter film. Um, if it comes from that copy that I've been speaking about, it is going to be about third or probably a third generation copy. Um, so, yeah. And then it'll de it'll depend on what condition it's in at this point. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, uh, I think Robert Groden said about his his copy of the Darnell film, or is it the Weakman film? He says, I can't take it apart. I can't offload, off, reel it off anymore. It's stuck together. Mm. Um, I don't know whether that's true. Um, yeah, it's hard to tell with him. Uh, it's really hard to tell. You know, people <laughs> say, you know, there's this is another thing. The older generation loves to hoard stuff. It won't give it out as such. Yeah. You know? um, the, the, the people that were doing stuff and released books 20 years or so ago, they should just release all their stuff digitally. The same goes for images. And if you think the good work that we did over the last year or so, just by looking at all the camera work and the picture, the stills and so forth, and I've uploaded hundreds of pictures there at the ROKC website just for people to look at and see if they discover something. And people just have a dabble with it and all that. Um, it's it's quite encouraging, especially Linda Zambanini did an absolute fantastic job. She started to recognize so many of the women in, uh, in front of the Texas School Book Depository 
And at the same time, we also been trying to find them through uh, e-yearbook as such. You know, classroom pictures and high school graduation. Yeah, books. she's 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 very good at digging stuff up like that. You know, I yeah. I, I know a bit about her. She's very good. Yeah, I mean, she's not always right, but uh, I, you know, she's been more right than wrong. So that, yeah. that's what matters to me. And uh, she's done some really uh, fantastic finds, as such. Um, we've been lucky with getting some high resolution pictures from Nara. We managed to plunder. Um, Richard E. Sprake's uh, collection that had a lot of pictures in it. Uh, there was also a lot disappeared, a lot of empty folders. There's a lot of theft going on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times people come up with the story and say, well, that's really suspicious that all these films have gone this, that, and the other. Well, I bet you that the majority is either just being kept in private collection because they, they stole it and sold it on as such, just like an artwork. Mm-hmm. Or uh, pure souvenir hunting, as such, as well. It just disappeared. Yeah, that too. Just like the originals of Pruders, you know. Yeah, and the original, uh, much more. Mm-hmm. And and the Polaroid, the uh, Mormon Polaroid. Yeah. Um. The next film. <laughs> yeah, that as well. I think Gil Gil Nix Jackson is, did the right thing. Just. Charging yeah. money, for, you know, it's like pff, enough's enough. Yeah. If they How want it, they can pay wait? for it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Which might also finished. help to, well, it might help to open up the floodgates a little bit if they have to shell out, you know, it's either give up the film or shell out $10 million. And what are, you, what are they going to do? Yeah. The question is, do they know where that film is? Because that's I'm the sure thing. The do. people that were involved with all this, right? There's only a few of these people are left. Or Groden nicked it from the HSCA. Who knows? Uh, Groden, <laughs> Groden, but you know, in one way, uh, Groden did a good thing because if he had nicked the Zapruder film, I know. <laughs> was his name Mo Weisman? Something like that. Or he just nicked it from his studio. Um, we would have never seen it. And, you know, then Garrison wouldn't have been able to show it and get copies all over the university as such, because that's what they did as well, the bootleg copies. Um, I find the Zapruder film uh, quite interesting uh, to look at. I hope to do a piece on it uh, in a a year's time. Yeah, well, I've seen the 4K scan of it, and, well, a piece of it, not the whole thing. Um, They're supposed to be, they're supposed to be coming out with a documentary, this Hollywood couple. And I met him at a conference last year, and they it's showed just the Hollywood us, Seven. Yeah, right. And, and they showed us a, a portion of their documentary, and it's got the 4K scan yeah. of, of the headshot, yeah. and, a, and a couple frames surrounding. And it's very, it's very interesting because, I mean, whatever that orange blob is, no, it's a paint job. Such it, a yeah, paint job. it's it's quite clear in that 4K scan that it's it's not. It's an artifact. It's not original, right. and, you know. My, I think there is a post on ROKC which is sunk quite a few pages deep, and it's called "Say It Ain't So." And basically, I look um, what I because I was downloading all these high res uh, documentaries as such. I ended up getting the Zapruder film in many shapes and forms as such. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And one day I just sat here and I put like a lot of pictures up as my screensaver. And then I'm just sitting there and I'm going all of a sudden, it's late at night and I'm going, that's fake. That's been painted in. Yeah. Because as a photographer, you uh, learn about contours and shapes and colors and stuff like that. And then you just look at it and you go, that's not right. That's painted in because it doesn't have any texture as such that is the same. And on top of that, it doesn't make any uh, technical sense because I know where the shadow is coming from. Mm -hmm. And there's another thing is the fact that the shadow was in, uh, no, of course it was late November, but it's a low wintry shadow. So there is not a lot of contrast in them. And if you start to look at the contrast being created in the shadow in, say, Greer's hair or in Connolly's hair and so forth, yeah. then that contrast doesn't add up with the shadow that's basically been painted in as such. Yeah. You know what the funniest bit is? Is that you have to look at the picture, at, at these frames, and you go, okay, it's possible that's a, that it's a paint job, but suppose it's not. And then you start to look at it in conjunction with the much more film, um, the Mormon Polaroid, for instance. Now, if you go to Robin Unger's site, Robin Unger's site, Robin Unger's got some really good high resolution of the Mormon Polaroid. Now, what I want anyone who's interested in this to look at the following is basically at the black blob on the back of the Polaroid of the Mary Mormon thing. Now, if you look, compare the angle where the shadow is and where Zapruder is standing, and the irony is actually in the Mormon Polaroid, you can see Zapruder standing. Yeah. So basically, they're almost on opposite ends, technically. With JFK back of the, JFK's back and side of the head basically being the triangular point. Now, right. if you look at it like that, and you look at the dark blob that's on the right side, right lower side of JFK's head, you think, okay, Zapruder has got it there. But then when you look at the Mormon Polaroid, it is much more to the back in the center, and it's down. And you can just see, again, when you look at the Polaroid, that the texture doesn't make any sense. Because when you look to Jackie Kennedy's hair, which is actually a, of a darker tone than John F. Kennedy's was, in black and white, and in color, but in black and white for sure, you can see that there is detail and the sun reflection on the back of the head of Jackie Kennedy. So there is no technical explanation or rational explanation for that massive black blob on the back of the head. And this is the same black blob that you see back in the autopsy pictures. If you look at Walt Brown's autopsy pictures, there's one autopsy picture where they show the back wound. Mm-hmm. And the one in the back room, but if you look at the back of the head, you see an artifact, a like a masking job, because it's got straight, rugged egg, edged lines running, yeah. and you can see that it's a mask. And when you look at them, it's all about the back in the head. And I have no idea how big that was, but this the bottom line is is that all these films have been painted in. You see, I can't explain what John Costello all comes up with. I, I swear to God, I have no idea. <laughs> and nor, nor do I subscribe to any that hocus pocus. I just don't. No. But you see, I've 
retouched um, slide prints, Ciba chromes. I've retouched black and white bromide prints for years. Um, and the story for them to basically to get the original, which they did, they did get the original, the Zapruder film. Yeah. Yeah. His mom said Abe shouldn't have given them the original. <coughs> so now the second they got the, the original, and this is me speculating. When the film goes to Hawkeye Labs, they turn it into 35 mil film. Why? Really simple. They got to be able to retouch it because they retouch the film. So you got to just imagine a guy with like what the uh, diamond jewelers have. They've got one of these magnifying glasses right in front of their eyes. Mm -hmm. And they basically paint the blob in. If you start looking at the frames of the Zapruder after the frontal, the throat shot, you start looking. You Once you know which area you look at, which is like the right back of the head where the color differentiation is. If you blow these pictures up, you can see at the edging what's wrong with it. Um, but, you know, that's a story for next year. Uh, there's uh, a lot to be read about this. And first of all, I've got to do all this, uh, this prayer man malarkey. And, uh, <laughs> um, we, uh, we're, we're trying to gain more, uh, uh, what you call it, uh, notoriety. Well, we get plenty of notoriety, but we're trying to get people to get interested and read about it and uh, understand uh, how it's uh, all uh, been put together. Um, uh, in the end, it's what we're putting together is uh, Greg Parker's work from, uh, say, 2001, when uh, he and a few others started to question the uh, second floor lunchroom encounter mm -hmm. and jumped into that. And then Sean Murphy jumped into that in the mid noughties as such, investigating more about the Texas School Book Depository, which basically accumulated in the uh, creation of Prayer Man. There's one big piece of the puzzle missing, and that's the JFK Lancer Forum. And the Lancer Forum, which went offline about four or five years ago, if I'm not mistaken, uh, got hacked really badly. Um, that forum was filled to the brim with really, really good posts. And it had Greg Parker on it. It had uh, David Joseph on it. It had, uh, uh, I think Richard Gilbride himself was on it. And there's, um, of course, Sean Murphy was on it. And there were quite a few posts there that were uh, all about the Texas School Book Depository shenanigans as such. That forum disappeared, but the education forum is working hard in trying to get the database back up. And... If I'm not mistaken, they think they're going to be back online early summer this year. It was supposed to happen last year, summer, but they had to delay it. But they said that everything is looking good and uh, hopefully they can reinstate the whole forum. It's important for me to find out what, what other findings were in there. I don't expect to find loads, but uh, there probably still might be a nugget or two in there. Um, oh, yeah. This is also a reason why I'm waiting with... Uh, the movie and the uh, and the book because I actually want to uh, sniff through all that um, regarding the history as such because this the uh, the funny thing about it is actually that uh, when it comes to the history is that the second floor lunchroom encounter for instance was questioned by uh, 
uh, Jerry D. Rose, if I'm not mistaken, who uh, did um, uh, a magazine called The Third and the Fourth Mag- uh, Decade. Yeah. And he wrote Harold Weisberg. And he says, oh, I've got this, uh, uh, this article. Can you read this? And it's called uh, Coordinating the Witnesses. And uh, in that, to me, is the earliest evidence where the actual lounge, lunchroom encounter was doubted. It actually happened. Then Greg Parker pick, picks up the baton and he picks it up uh, 2001 and gets into that and then basically starts delving into the second floor lunchroom. There are still posts on altassassination.jfk, uh, alt if I'm not mistaken. Um, this, this post is still there from 10, 15 years ago, which is quite interesting. Um, yeah. When it comes to prayer, man, well, Sean Murphy coined the term and apparently coined the term in about 09. So that's just before the end of uh, the Lancer Forum. So that's one thing I want to know. I want to see whether there's anything on the Lancer Forum about, uh, by Sean Murphy about prayer man as such. And um, the discovery of the person in the shadow, which is called prayer man, was seen in the late 60s. Um, I, especially the first six months of last year, I think I trawled every day through the Weisberg archive, which is just a treasure trove. Oh, yeah. Um, he's accumulated so many documents that nobody else got their hands off. I mean, now you've got Mary Farrell and, you know, a few others. Um, but uh, he got some really good stuff in. But the most uh, significant parts uh, from from his archive, I find, are um, the um, the correspondence, the letters he writes with uh, other researchers as such, and the ones he slags off, and uh, the ones uh, he writes personal letters to, which is just uh, vitriolic stuff, like you wouldn't believe. Um, but um, in um, in his archive, oh, damn, I lost my train of thought, Rob. I think you were going after the Barnabile. Oh, yeah, that's it, the Barnabai. Okay. Barnabai, yeah. Okay, hold on. So I'm going to go back. So if you go through Weisberg's archive, there's um, material about um, Richard E. Sprague and Richard Barnabai. And basically, um, Sprague was a photographic consultant who ended up working for – he did some stuff for Garrison, but he did more for the HSCA. And Barnabai was a uh, professor at Kingston University. And they start discussing the discovery of a guy in the shadow, which is, this is happening in um, the middle of 67 and it's being discussed up till the middle of 68. And then the trail goes stone that cold. There's nothing, nobody mentions it about it. Um, they're making a diagram. They've got trouble recognizing love lady as such because they're looking at re- they're looking like a sixth or seventh generation copy of Weekman. Uh, Donnell wasn't even in the picture yet. Uh, they didn't even know the couch shot material from the front. So um, they discuss in these letters the figure standing next to. Love lady and start thinking about the fact that it could be Oswald, and then it goes dead, and it goes dead till uh, Sean Murphy actually makes a mention of it. Sorry. 
That's all right. That went wrong first. No, my headphones just got whacked out. Apologies. Um, so there's been a a, a period of uh, 40 years that no one had a mention or a discovery about it. Uh, actually, I have to give Charles Wallace some credit. Hmm. Charles Wallace, he comes up with many, many, many uh, theories. But yes. in this one, he was right by pointing Prayer Man out. He did that in 2005. I have to give him credit for that. Um, I spoke to Greg Parker about it uh, a few months ago, and he said that it might just be that Sean Murphy saw what Charles Wallace did and basically took over. Yeah. Um, you know what the clever bit is of, of, of this whole thing is um, the power of deduction. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Because in the end, there's only 70-odd people working in there. And if you take from that group the people that were off sick or off work, and if you then take off the people that weren't anywhere near the building when the assassination happened, or they worked in the North Houston warehouse, or they were off lunch, or they were in the parking area, and so forth, if you take them off, and then if you then take off the women, <clears throat> and if you then take off the African-Americans, and you just only got white Male, uh, male Caucasians left over and if you then start looking into the fact that how were, how people were dressing yeah, how office workers dress and how laborers dressed as such and the guy just looks like a laborer there's no way an office worker I mean you'd get away with it now but 50 years ago you weren't an office worker was not dressed like that you'd probably get reprimanded for walking in and dressed like that mm-hmm. you'd probably lose your job right there and then or get warning bad warning severe white shirt and tie you know exactly exactly and especially in an area that's that ultra conservative and right wing uh no doubt about it absolutely no doubt about it so and um that's the the power of deduction thing is 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 quite uh, richard hawking did a really good job on that i don't think he got enough credit um, because although Sean Murphy put a lot of evidence forward with regards to the statements, he's very good at reading the statement, but the power of deduction thing came actually from Richard Hawking, who did a, a really stellar job with it and made it really simple for everyone to follow. If you go through that thread as such, he he doesn't post that often, but when he does post, he just posts little lists of people and says, like, well, these are the people that worked here, this one was off, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And before you know it, I mean, I just use that information and put it in the spreadsheet as such. And um, also put the stranger factor in there as well. And the funny thing is, is that the only person that comes forward of being there is Lee Oswald. And that's just purely through the power of deduction and the way he was dressed. And then if you, okay, so that's one thing of, by looking at it. The other way of looking at it is the interrogations as such. Look at the interrogations. Where does he state that he was? Where do the people that were in charge, what did they say? Ockers Campbell, he was in the first floor, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, all these bits. And you just have to weigh it off. And then uh, there is another conclusion that it just points to the fact that Oswald was on the first floor. You know, whether he went up for that coke afterwards or he had it in front, which I think he had, you know, isn't, isn't really such a 
such a big deal. I mean, it's already proven beyond a reasonable doubt that Oswald was never on the sixth floor. But, you know, it would be great to have that picture and show that, shove that picture in front of everyone and say, there you go, there he is. And then just basically have all these news, these mainstream media outlets eat a crow yeah. for, you know, for what they've done as well. Because that's another thing. We're just talking to maybe a few hundred people. Um, you know, they reach, they have a reach of millions and they've been playing a rigged game from the word get go. But, uh, you know, they're part of it to an extent. Oh, no doubt. And, you know, you mentioned that. And I think there was even, uh, I'm trying to remember the uh, photographer. Uh, what was his name? I don't know. I think he, he captured uh, what appears to be a bottle in the doorway, you know, sitting oh, on, sitting on the, the ground. Jim Murray. Jim um, Murray, it, yeah. Well, Jim Murray it was one of them. William Allen was another one. It might have been, yeah. I, I posted about four shots they're all done by William Allen. Yeah. One of them, you've got four ladies of the Texas School Book Depository walking out. They're all on the steps. And one of them, you've got Chief Curry in front with a bunch of DPD cops, and he's pointing all in all kinds of directions. Then there's another shot, shot from the side. And when you look through the elbow of a police or motorcycle cop, you can see the bottle as well. There are three, four, there, I, I described these three shots, but I think there's another one. And they all show the bottle in the, in the corner, in the recessed area, where Prayer Man was standing. Now, I have to say, in all honesty, Billy Lovelady said he had his lunch on the steps as well. Yeah. Now, it's not exactly where Lovelady was standing. When we cannot, cannot, uh, we should not let it discount the fact that uh, Lovelady was standing behind Roy Edward Lewis in the very beginning of the Hughes film. And he may have been sitting down just before that because he's been described as been sitting down on the steps by, I think it was Molina or Shelley. Um, so it's possible that he sat down and then pulled his bottle down. But here's the thing, here's the kicker. You see, I personally believe, and this is my opinion solely, is that Prayer Man was drinking. The reflection that comes, um, yep. that is being created. Now, the the thing is, it's not a direct reflection. This is what a lot of people like Albert Doyle make a massive mistake with. What it is is that because it's glass, it reacts differently. It doesn't have to be in the bright sunlight. Even if it's on the edge of the shadow, it will respond as such because the glass is curved. Mm-hmm. Okay, the bottle may have a dent in it or so whatsoever. Glass is just a really funny thing, and it just captures light in its whole in, because of its angles as such. So it may just it may just light up just because of that. Yeah. The thing in the Weakman film, if you just uh, if you study it, you see it's got it roughly in front of his mouth, and he's got it roughly say, uh, just underneath his chest area. I mean, and the same in Darnell. It all lights up. That's the thing. It's constantly lit up. And the way the shadow, the way he was standing in the shadow, I think it's glass. And I think it's the bottle. But, you know, I mean, there are four pictures that show that bottle and and one of them shows that lunch sack 
right mm-hmm. in front of it as well. See, that's the thing as well. It isn't just a bottle. There's a lunch sack in front of it as well. You can see it clearly. It's, it's there. Um, you know, Oswald lied through his teeth during the interrogation, but when he was supposed to talk to, to speak the truth, he actually did speak the truth. Yeah. Find it. Find it. Tell it. You know, tell people that he was outside in front with Shelley. So, um, yeah. Uh, well, well, look, Bart, um, look, we can talk about this all night, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, I would, I would that. highly recommend if, for the listeners that want more to head to prayer hyphen man, all no yeah. spaces yeah. dot com. Yeah, that's correct. Because you've got a very great website that's broken down into sections yeah. that people can check out. They can watch it's a, a work movie of there. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's going to be a work of progress for probably another six months. Um, but uh, I almost do updates to it, add pictures to it, videos to it every couple of days or so. Um, I'll work on it. Um, basically, the way I'm progressing is the site actually progresses. So... It's a good indicator of what I'm working on. Um, lately, I've just been working on uh, the Secret Service stuff, uh, Thomas Kelly and uh, Four Soils, and I'm working on the Harry. And I've been working on Harry Dean Holmes. Um, so, and everybody will get their get their turn and uh, be dealt with, so to speak. Yeah. Um, the book, as I said earlier, I hope to get it out before this year's anniversary. I'm trying to do it a free uh, print-on-demand and a free Kindle version so people can dig in. Um, what you can expect from the book is pretty much the same as what's going to be on the website. It's just that the documentation is going to be printed out over pages. Um, I think it's going to be a fairly big book, but it's also because I'm putting, uh, I'd say, that probably half, half up to two-thirds are probably uh, is documentation. So I'm a, I'm a non-writer's writer. So I just <laughs> try to basically uh, point out to uh, all the discrepancies in the documentation, what says what, and uh, etc., and highlight that, and uh, basically uh, put my story together uh, in such a way. And uh, of course, there's the version two of the movie that hopefully I will be able to release in about three or four months' time. I'm just um, thinking about whether I'm going to put the uh, movie in shorter segments. I mean, the last one I released was, I think, 90-odd minutes, 96 minutes long. Mm -hmm. And as I said earlier as well, this film is probably going to be as long, but I might chop it up into chapters and such and just put them in as uh, 15 or 20-minute clips on YouTube as such. Um, I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet because there's also talk of... uh, doing the follow-up and submit it to uh, some film uh, festivals as such as well. Um, I never thought of it. Uh, some of the other ROKC members thought that it would be a good idea. Um, we'll see. We'll see how good it gets with the second version and then uh, decide uh, whether we go on public uh, right away or uh, we keep it for the festivals as such. Yeah, Time and, I, and I'll, I'll embed it on my website as well, um, along with the you know the postings for this show. I'll put up some more pictures uh, you know, map of the depository. I put up links to your website so everybody Thanks can very much. so everybody can find it easily. And Bart, man, I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about this. Pleasure I, to be on. 
Yeah, I, I talked about Prayer Man a couple times. You know, one one time after Stan Dane uh, yes. came out, but you know, like she said, it's it. There's a lot to this, and I I couldn't do it justice by myself. And I'm glad you reached out to me, and we got this done because you have some very good information, and and the people need to know about it and check it out for themselves with an open mind, and yes. take everything into consideration. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Let's. That's exactly it. You have to have an open mind about this and you have to um, understand that people make mistakes, but also that there's certain times that people are deliberately railroaded as such. And, you know, it's you have yeah. to pick through everything with a fine tooth comb uh, before you decide that whether it's conspiratorial or not, you know. so Yeah, and if anybody has any... any uh... Any tips, any any insight or anything, yeah. you know, you can get at me or Bart on Twitter. Yeah. Let us I'd know. I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Um, uh, my Twitter handle is PM is Lee Oswald. And um, I'm on Facebook as well as The Lone Gunman. So if you want to connect to that, that was fine. Just hook me up. And uh, it, on the website, uh, you can send emails as well through the uh, mail uh, mail page so there you go if you got anything you want to get to yeah if you want to get it to bart and let, just let him know yeah and, and uh, i can i would suggest that if you want to research more about this then uh, i suggest you uh, get uh, stan dane's book uh, prayer man and that's called out in the shadows and into the light prayer man the exoneration of lee harvey oswald you can get it of amazon you can get it digitally and uh, print on demand then yeah. uh, the film, of course, that I did, and uh, above all, uh, if you want to talk uh, specific things and want to read about them, then I suggest you go to the ROKC forum, which uh, probably uh, is the main place if you want to discuss the uh, happenings inside the Texas School Book Depository and the steps of them. Yeah, most definitely. All right, Bart, man, I appreciate it so much, and you hang on Thank the line for me, okay? And I'll talk yes. this out. Okay. People, for more on this episode, head over to tlgpodcast.com. I'm going to embed Bart's movie in there so you can watch it. Links to his website, all that good stuff. For more, there's some bitches in the can. Beam up this satellite down directly to your ears, people. This is your boy. Peace.
Carl's Jr.'s new guacamole double cheeseburgers, only 299 bucks. You forgot the decimal? Only 299 bucks. Not decibel, decimal. The guacamole double cheeseburger is only $2.99 at Carl's Jr. Oops. Available for a limited time. Price of participation may vary. Tax not included. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.